0: Today we continue to celebrate 50 years and we want to share a few stories <clears throat> Excuse me, of what God has done at Calvary. There are literally thousands more and I hope in the weeks ahead you will celebrate some of your stories in your C2 groups and share your story about how God has moved in your life through the ministries here in our fellowship. I would love it if you would take time to write your story write your story up and send it to me You can do that online anytime. Next year, we're going to be, at the end of this year, we're going to be putting a yearbook together for the church to celebrate our 50 years. And we would love to be able to share some of those stories uh, in that yearbook. And so please, you can write that to me at mjohnson at calvaryspringfield.org. I hope you'll take time to do that and and be a a part of uh, the celebration of what God's done for us. But today, we want you to hear just a few of the things that God has done in people's lives. I want you to welcome today uh, Quentin Winder as He comes to share with us. Quentin.
1: What a privilege it is to be here to share my story. Um, I want to take you guys on a journey of where I've come from and what is God currently doing in my life now. As far as I can remember, eight, eight years old is where my life started to... You know, I started to take, you know, knowing what's going on in my life, you know, like my family, my you. situation certain situations that were going on. I remember my mother being a drug addict and a felon. Um, my sister, she was around, but our relationship wasn't as close as most siblings. Um, my brother, he was a felon as well, and my dad was a alcoholic. Um, a story that I remember we, me and my mom, we were attending, you know, we were just going to these stores. We'll walk in the store, we'll walk out. We'll go to the next store, walk in the store and walk out. And I'm wondering, I'm like, she's taking these things and, you know, we're walking out of the store. And I'm like, are you gonna pay for those? And, you know, she'll just walk out. And we were on our way back home and I remember we were a block away from our house and two cop cars pull up. One hops out and says, ma'am, you need to come with me. And I get in the other cop car. And we go back to the store that we were recently at. And I remember the store manager was exchanging words with the cop, this is the lady. And during that time, my mom looks over at me and I look over at her in the cop car and I read her lips and she says, I love you. And she puts her head down and the cop gets in a car, takes her to the county building. And so the other cop dispatches is going, he turns it down, and he looks at me, and he says, so where am I taking you? Eight years old. <laughs> That's a tough question. So I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, and I'm like, take me to my grandmother's house. And so we, you know, we take the route there, and cop and I get out of the car, knocks on the door. My grandma opens the door, you know, they exchange words, and I go in the door, same day, you know, nothing nothing different from what I'm used to, and you know, I continue to go on through my day watching TV, playing as a child, and I remember one time a bus ministry was starting here at Calvary. It was some power on Saturday nights, and there was a route that they take to come pick us up on Saturday nights and they take us to Jefferson Street location and we'll, you know, free cheeseburgers and, and all these things, you know, we were, we were excited as kids, arcade games, and we used to just hang out and fellowship. And, you know, in that time, God sent a Stacey Brademeyer in my life. And she, you know, took me under her wing. And when my mom was in and out of prison, I was actually allowed to stay with her for, a few years or so and my mom got out of prison i moved back and we were living with my sister at the time and then again she got caught and she goes back so i'm you know in and out of prison i'm going from home to home and during the ministry you know it allowed me to attend the academy at that time god opened up doors for me to attend calvary academy and during that transition I remember, you know, taking these water breaks and during class time and I ran into a path of this tall skinny kid with a huge head, is what I can remember. <laughs> and his name was, was Tyler Mulhall at the time. And I remember picking on him and all these things. But during that time, you know, God was mapping these ways out that we became best friends. And his mother was the secretary at the academy at the time. And I remember every weekend going to his house and having fun and staying with him. And, you know, my mother still doing the things that she was doing and my family were. And I remember one night my mom and I, we were at home. And she left. And I, you know, fall asleep. She never came back. I fall asleep on the couch. We were staying in a group home, a missions house. And the front desk lady comes, wakes me up. I'm about 12 this time. And she wakes me up. She's like, you need to go to your room. And I'm like, where's my mom? And they're like, we don't know. And so I go down to the room, I sleep, and I get a knock on my room door, and it's Mike Mahaw, Cheryl Mahal's husband. And he said, get your stuff, you're coming with me. No questions asked, because I'm used to it, obviously. And then I get in the car and we head out. The next morning, my mom calls from prison or the county building, whichever. She calls me and she says, hey, I'm not coming back home and, you know, such and such, this how many years, and she was telling me, and I told her on that phone at that moment that I'm not moving back with her again, that I found my family, and, you know, they love me, I love them, and she was like, I totally accept that. I am not, you know, equipped to raise you, and I was like, you know, that's when we met in agreement, and from there on, Cheryl Moha, you know, God sent a Cheryl Mohan into my life and she took me all the way through junior high, through high school and, you know, I struggled. I actually had to do fifth grade again because of that transition and junior high years and I struggled through high school, I struggled through junior high, but I was actually the first in my family to graduate high school at that time. Yes. Then I have some years of college, you know, I actually fell away from my faith when I graduated because I felt like I needed to do the things that my parents and sister and brother were doing. And then I fell away. But like I said, God has, you know, his hand on me the entire time. And he sent a Chad Woods into my life, who was a leader in the Oasis at the time. And he discipled me. He pulled me in, took me to lunch, asked me how my life was doing, and, you know, all these lunches that we had. And he was like, hey, have you ever thought about being a leader in Oasis? I'm like, man, I can't do that. You know, i never, I don't know if I can do that. My life isn't right. He was like, no, I'm going to disciple you, teach you, you know, get your life right with God, get you on the right track. And so during that time, you know, I started to grow as a leader. And I'm currently now, you know, in youth ministry at the WACES. My wife and I are still leaders there. And if God didn't send him, I don't know where I would be. Because now, during this time, I'm actually enrolled into Illinois School of Ministry to become a credentialed minister at this time. And (laughs) thank you. And God is just done some amazing things in my life. You know, he sent Renee and Mark into my life to push me to become a better person. You know, I'm in there off asking questions, and they're helping me pursue the dream that I have, Is that, and that is to be a youth pastor. And my goal is to teach kids that you do not have to be a product of where you come from. You know, God, God wants to use you in a mighty way. And I want, and that's the reason I'm giving back to the Academy because they invested so much time into my life. And I want to invest that back. And that's my story. Thank you very much.
2: My story starts at about age 10. Uh, at that age I became aware that I had a disability and that I was uh, destined to be uh, different than most other children. Inability to communicate fluently uh, and a shame was soon to become my prison. Uh, my week was simply surviving. Uh, school was just trying to survive through the week, trying to avoid every situation that would expose my disability both to others and the overwhelming shame it brought unto me as i grew up as i went through junior high my anxiety turned to hatred i actually began to hate myself and even more so i hated god for making me this way the way that i was Um, it may sound sort of funny but i always had faith I found areas in life to uh, kind of foster this empty hope Uh, as I, you know, so as I began to go through uh, junior high, I said things are going to get better when I get to high school. Things will get better when I learn how to drive and then when I started driving then what was my next hope and it was graduating out of high school. Finally at age 19 and uh, looking for my next glimpse of hope, uh, my search just Returned emptiness. Uh, That was a very tough time in my life. That emptiness turned to just uh, wanting to uh, give up. Uh, And then that turned to just uh, wanting to end my life. And um, there's a point where you step over that line of emptiness and you begin to release yourself to the path of suicide. I was there. At that exact same point, I heard a voice voices says have hope your hope can be found in the Bible and uh, I went home began to search through the house for a Bible the amazing thing was I had not been in church since I was nine years old when a friend had brought me to church I mean a song that I had learned as a young kid was resounding through my head Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so it began my song I remember that song from age nine this started a, a series of events that revealed God's plan for my life, countless stories. What happened was my hatred of myself and God is now truly transformed to the point that I can sincerely say I would not change a single day of my life, from age 9 to 19 and anything in the future. God is so real to me and my family, I only wish others could find this same experience. My challenges truly become my gifts, opportunities to minister. My gifts that were so denied to me during my childhood, God has in so many ways given back those experiences and so much more. Opportunities I was later able to experience with and through my family and even more opportunities and blessings as I reached out in faith and ministry within our community. The story of how God touched me and everything was so uniquely tied to athletics and As we began to look at God's purpose, we did 13 years of bus ministry work and was not able to continue on being able to reach kids by going out to the park and asking them if they'd like to come to church. Uh, Such a change in our society these days, but we had a calling to minister to youth. The pain that I had as a child, I could feel through children. I knew exactly what they were going through. I knew exactly how to minister to those needs and God so much prepared us athletically to give us the next form of ministry, which was through athletics. Families are so involved with athletics and activities these days, and God has given us a form for ministry. Sports became our avenue for being able to touch this uh, community. We've always ministered through the years of the Hitting Center. We've been doing the Hitting Center for almost 25-plus years now, and uh, it was a harvest field for us for ministry. about 10 plus years ago, we decided to become part of Calvary because I believe in the ministry of Calvary, the purpose and the vision of Calvary to reach this community for Christ. And that hitting center is where a lot of uh, where a lot of families are at activity-wise, and it really provides us a forum to be able to touch touch young lives, touch families for Christ through athletics. It has really become our life. It's become our. Uh, Harvest Field, our ministry. On any given week, there's a, a thousand people can come through these doors. We believe in the, in the concept of relationships. Every half hour, we can have a lesson with an individual, and that's building esteem in, into that young person's life—not just athletic abilities, but building character, building esteem. We've been as high as 4,000 lessons in one single year. 4,000 individual opportunities to to be able to touch and impact a young life. This is the harvest field. This is our community. This is the opportunity to be able to reach our community through Christ, right where people live. God has so uniquely placed us through the journey of my life, through the journey of moving from bus ministry to relationship. He has so uniquely prepared us to be able to touch this community through Christ. And we thank Calvary Church, we thank the Johnson family for the vision that they have to believe in us and to believe in the calling for this community to reach out. I leave you with this, you cannot outgive God. Every time I have un- unconditionally given to him or served him faithfully through ministry, he has rewarded me tenfold. I know whenever I meet, may be at a point of despair, he will be there for me either revealing himself through his word, through a family, through relationships, or even speaking to me the same way he did that miraculous day back in 1979, I will tell you this, I know he loves me, I know he's there, I know he speaks. I am changed forever never to be
3: Good morning, what an incredible thing to celebrate 50 years with you in the ministries of Calvary Church. I, my name is Tina Casper, I'm, an, I'm on staff here at Calvary, and it's my honor to share with you my story. I spent most of my life with holes, great gaps, and a constant feeling of never really knowing the truth about myself and the embarrassing task of always trying to offer a definition of my relationship with those that are around me. I long to belong to someone, to look like someone, to share a story with someone, to share a last name with anybody, to feel automatic and not forced on the heart of someone. The story of me is the pieces I put together Three years of interrogation And searching for truth within a year of being born I was placed in the foster care system in New Jersey Uh, foster care a foster child that was my definition and sometimes I struggle with it still being who I think of myself I've had to reconcile that term in my heart and my mind that I come with a definition an explanation by the time I was 15 years old I was in 13 foster homes i was unwanted that's what i had convinced myself at the very least i was difficult to love i became such a people pleaser because i just wanted anyone absolutely anybody to love me during those 15 years the department of children and family services would allow my birth mother to check a couple things off a list demonstrating a minimum expectation of responsibility and grant her custody of me and my brother. Unfortunately, her inability to maintain this facade of ability would fade. Drugs, alcohol, and bad choices would quickly destroy any progress she made, sending me and my brother back into foster care. During foster care, I would encounter some incredibly loving people. As an adult, when I look back, I'm overwhelmed when I see God's obvious hand on my life. He placed men and women in my life, sometimes as foster parents or a relative of them, a teacher, a friend, a friend's parent, a neighbor, and often his hand extended through a church body to show his love for me. I know that as an adult now. I had a hard time seeing that as a child. It was also during this time that I would experience the painful, familiar theme of rejection. Not all foster parents had the right motivation. That's a sad truth, but it is true. I am thankful for those that, cho- that, that made the choice to fill a hole in my life and provide a place for me to sleep at night and the basic cares of life. But not all of those that opened their home did so with the right intent. I would encounter all different types of abuse during those years, physical, sexual, mental, and emotional. Rejection is also a form of abuse, a very lasting belief that I'm just not good enough, that I cannot be loved. I cried myself to sleep many nights with such an ache to be wanted. At the age of 11, I was granted what every foster child puts on their Christmas list. I was going to be adopted. DCFS had finally terminated the rights of my mother, my birth mother, and I was then available for adoption. At the time, my picture and a brief bio of my, of my life up to that point was placed in a very large book. I always tease, it's like a Sears catalog at the time. And you could, you could there was tabs on the side of the book, and you could look as a foster parent that was, or as an, as an adult, a parent that was looking to adopt a child. You could flip and you could choose White, female, 11-year-old girl. Well, I guess girl and female is the same thing. Okay. So, (laughs) but you could find that, flip to it, and then look through. And I had a number and a first name and a picture. And I caught the eye of a family. My profile was selected by a family in Springfield. And after a couple visits, quite literally two visits, they received custody of me and they became my new mom and dad. Just like that. And I'll be honest, I don't like to talk about it much. The year before I was adopted, the movie Annie came out. Um, I teased because I really, truly believed that my Annie was on its way, that my name would be in lights and my family would just sing and dance, that they now had Tina. I mean, it was going to be great for everybody. Really, it was. So, I was adopted the summer of 1983, and, but the fantasy I had in my mind was far from my reality. It was during this time that I encountered more abuse. The experience that I had in foster care continued in various forms in this, in this home, most notably physically and emotionally. I repeatedly begged my caseworker to please let me go. I wanted to go back to my foster home. In the beginning of 1987, after three and a half years, I was placed back in foster care. It was the ultimate rejection. After being chosen, being returned. Thankfully, during that time, I met some great people from Calvary Church. My grandma, Martha Dewey, sitting here at 91 years old, I still call grandma today. She reached out to me at 11 years old and became my grandma. she didn't have to. And she started bringing me to Calvary. I had found lots of friends there, and I loved being a part of the youth group. Pastor Mark was the youth pastor and was the coolest guy I knew. That quickly changed. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. When my adoption was annulled, my grandma Martha and some others came to Pastor and said, is there anyone at Calvary that might keep her for a couple weeks while we find a permanent home for her? It was the longest I had been anywhere. I had been in Springfield for three years, and I attended one school in in those three years, and that was incredible to me. So during that time, Pastor Mark and his wife Renee um, Mm -hmm. had been married for a little over a year and a half, I had a beautiful six-month-old, big, blue-eyed baby girl named Jessica, and they said, we'll keep her for a couple weeks. Uh, that'll be 30 years in April. <laughs> so what a surprise to them that I still call them mom and dad. <laughs> and I've had the great joy to join them in the ministry that God called them to. God often uses the church as his hand extended to me. Throughout the years, it's been multiple different churches. He's still in the business of doing that today and at Calvary Church and around the world. Calvary Church, hear me, Calvary Church became my family before the Johnsons did. So many faces have known me since I was an 11-year-old broken child. Many of you knew me before they did. And I am so internally grateful. I am part of God's family. And that reality and that truth created an unexplainable joy and laughter in me. God has filled my life with people that choose to love me when I've been unlovable. Out of the pain of my life, God created an immediate and complete compassion for anyone that has felt the sting of rejection for those that have experienced that, and for those that have felt unloved and unwanted, for those that felt discarded, abused, and abandoned by those that were called and supposed to love them. I feel that. I know that. I pray my story connects others to the heart of God, but I also pray that it encourages the church of God to stand up and be his hands extended, to welcome, if not for a moment, and to never miss those moments. I can't imagine what my life would be without Calvary Church. The hands and heart of this church that hugged me, supported me, prayed for me, guided me, and often spoke hard but needed words of direction to me. My heart is forever thankful for the obedience of Pastor MC and Mrs. Johnson that showed in the calling that God placed them, they showed obedience. And for the thousands in the past 50 years that have continued to serve the city of Springfield and people around the globe through the ministries of Calvary Church, and I am so forever thankful that I get to stand as one of those that hold hands with many of you and serve the people of this community. I first came to Calvary Church in 1983. I was a broken and abandoned 11-year-old girl. I think of that often as I now see new faces each week at Calvary. And I wonder, oh, how often I think, what's their story? What brought them here? Who brought them here? And what does God have in the next 30 years for them? Four years after stepping into the doors of Jefferson Street location, God used the leadership of this church and the members of this church to meet a serious and obvious need in my life. But it is more obvious to me how God used the people of this church to show me his love, his desire for me, and offered me a hope for not only my life here, but my eternity. My eternity was changed because I walked into that church and was embraced by those people. I am thankful for how this church embraces me, welcomes me, celebrates with me, has loved my husband Steve, our children Hannah and CJ and Gianna. Think of it. If not for those moments when I was 11, would my daughter Hannah be on a missions field in Thailand, giving medical missions and loving on people, and now in college and serving at a church that she's in college? Her life was changed because you chose to love me at 11. My son CJ found his place to put his feet. His place to put his feet because you loved me at 11. My daughter Gianna is growing up at Calvary Academy and and, and being loved there and learning about love and how to share love with others because you loved me at 11. You invested in me, and I am so thankful. So I say thank you to all of you for 50 years. What a great thing to celebrate. Thank you very much.
4: I grew up in a, a good home. Uh, my family took us to church just about every single Sunday. And then uh, we had a run-in with the pastor when I was in sixth grade. My family stopped going to church. We became you know, attenders of church on Christmas and Easter, and that's about it. As I was going through high school, uh, baseball was just my thing. And really, baseball became my identity um, throughout my junior high years when I played competitive baseball and throughout high school. I would play baseball nonstop. I would play summer ball competitive, travel across the country in high school. I would play high school ball during the spring. I would play fall baseball with the wood bat league around town, and then I would train every single week, every single day in the winter. Baseball was just my god, really. As I was moving forward in my my high school career of baseball, I began looking at colleges, I was talking to recruiters. As offers didn't come in, I started looking elsewhere. My friend actually said, Hey, I'm going to Bradley University in Peoria. You should come up to school with me. And I applied there, got a great academic scholarship, and decided, you know what, why not? I decided I was going to try out for the baseball team. Got there, about 30 or so kids tried out. And as I was trying out, I just, I had a not so great tryout and uh, I got cut from the team. I remember at that point thinking, wow, uh, the thing that I lived for the most has now been taken from me. And that was a tough moment for me. Uh, I remember, you know, starting to get into the drinking and partying scene, which I stayed away from so much in high school because of this baseball that had kept me from it. I decided that I was going to join a fraternity, and I decided I was going to start finding fulfillment and satisfaction in areas that were completely immoral and unhealthy. It came to be on October 14th, 2011, I'll never forget the date, that it was Parents' Weekend, and my parents were supposed to come up and visit me. They had not visited me at college yet. They did not help me move in, and I was still a little upset from that. Come to find out that my parents aren't coming this weekend, and uh, there was a big party that was gonna happen, and I decided that I was just gonna drink, and drink, and drink. I really started to get scared that I was gonna lose my life from alcohol poisoning. I kept telling my friend, look, we need to go to the hospital. We need to go to the hospital. I'm really sick. So I did what what only I knew how to do. Uh, I began praying the Lord's Prayer. Uh, something that i remember learning growing up in church and i said it not once not twice i said it probably four or five times before my friend finally said you're scaring me stop so i stopped and i remember i had a moment of clarity in that moment and and god spoke to me and i don't know if it was it in an audible voice or if it was something on my heart but he spoke to me in my drunkenness and said jacob i'm going to take you higher any drug or alcohol. Woke up the next afternoon, went back to my dorm room, was by myself in my dorm room. I began to cry. I began to cry out to God and ask Him for His forgiveness. And right then and there, I gave my heart to Him. I surrendered my life to Jesus. And that was really the pivotal moment of my life where where everything began to change. And after I got filled with the Holy Spirit, um, God started teaching me how to develop my spiritual gifts, I started attending a spirit-filled church in Peoria. And it was at that point that I realized that Bradley was no longer gonna be the place I was gonna be in the future for, for school. And it was it was a really difficult decision for me to make to drop out of Bradley. Um, I was doing fine in school, but God really just tugged on my heart that I was to go into ministry and ultimately one day be a missionary. I I was talking to my mom about everything that God was doing in my life. And I was like, Mom, we need to find a church here in Springfield that, that we can get plugged into. Not only a church, but a spirit filled church. And from my time being at the Hitting Center, the Hitting Center being a ministry of Calvary Church, the Hitting Center is not just a baseball and softball training facility, it's a ministry. I'm um, getting to know Bob and Jackie Laurent, uh, Greg and Sharon Brown my mom and I came to the conclusion that we should try out Calvary. And I remember the first Sunday that I walked into Calvary, I I said to myself, this is home. Now, to give you the backstory of everything that was going on, because this is probably one of the coolest parts of my testimony, there were, um, there was a Bible study that was meeting on Tuesday nights, every single Tuesday night. And it's, it's been going on, I believe, for the last seven or so years now. And I, I decided one, one evening, around that time, to go to one of those Bible studies. And I decided to go up and, and go to the Bible study. And as I walk in the Bible study, Greg Brown's eyes get as big as bowling balls, I swear. And I'm like, what is going on? Why, why is he looking at me like that? And he's like waving me in, waving me in. And I'm like, okay, this is, this is kind of weird. And they're in groups of 3 and they're praying and they had these note cards sitting in front of them. And I was just so confused and and Greg stopped everybody from praying and and looked at one of the guys across the room and said, "This is Jacob Bradshaw." Greg grabs one of the note cards that this man across the room had and shows it to me. And he shows me a note card with my name on it. And a note card represents somebody that they're praying for and he shows me the days that they had prayed every single week for the past three or four years, that they had been praying for me, that they had been praying for my salvation, that they had been praying that I would uh, be filled with God and that I would find his plan and purpose for my life. An opportunity came up for me to intern with the youth ministry and with that, go on a, a missions trip. It was a leap of faith for me and God really blessed me with it. And and use that time to really grow me and that ultimately led to uh, me becoming a junior high pastor here at Calvary and Calvary is really where, not where I first heard my call to missions, but it's definitely where God confirmed in my heart and my wife's heart the call to missions. It's pretty cool because my wife Bree, she attended Calvary her junior and senior year and it was during one of those missions weeks that God really spoke to her about being a missionary one day and realistically she didn't really ever think that was going to come to fruition Um, and then I started staring when we first and then when we first met I started sharing my testimony and what my call was in life and right then and there she shared her heart and what God had spoken to her and that's how uh, really our relationship began was the interest that we had for the missions field one day. We're thankful for for everything Calvary has done for us. We're thankful for for the passion that Calvary has for missions, and we're thankful that Calvary supports um, people like myself, and my wife, in following God's call on our life. I can't even believe that five years ago, uh, I wasn't even a practicing Christian. And today I can say that I've served in ministry, I've served as a youth pastor, and I'm moving forward in my steps to becoming a missionary. Five years ago, I thought I would've been playing baseball at this point in my life. I thought I would've at least been in college playing ball and maybe on my road to professional ball. And I even still have people come up to me today and say, Jacob, where are you playing ball at? What are you doing? And uh, I get to share with them that, that God has done a work in my life that is more important than a game of baseball. It's more important than, than a career in baseball that I ever could have had. And I get to share with them the hope and the joy that I have found in a relationship with Jesus that supersedes anything that I could have on this earth. And that's just the gospel that, that God has came down to us that He has given us His Son and that, that He has sought out a relationship with each and every one of us, with me personally. And He chose to speak to me one night when I was drunk in order to save me out of the mess that I was in. And I'm just forever grateful for what the Lord has done for me. And I hope the Lord can do the same for you. I believe the reason that I ended up at Calvary was most likely because of a group of people that were praying for me, not only praying for me, but praying passionately for me and asking God to move my behalf and to send people my way.
0: A miracle has to do with the divine intervention of God. God stepping into our life in some way that we could accomplish or do on our own. You've heard some stories of that today, how God moved the pieces on the board to begin to reveal himself in people's lives. And many of you have some of the same stories. And I would ask you, today: how many of you need a miracle today? There's some of us who need that divine intervention of God today. In 2 Kings chapter 4, it tells a story. It says, One day Elisha went on to Shunem, uh, where a wealthy woman lived, who urged him to eat some food. So whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there and, to eat food. And she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed a table a chair and a lamp and whatever he whenever he comes to us he can go in there one day he came there and he turned to the chamber turned into the chamber and rested there and he said to Gehazi his servant called the Shunammite woman and when he called her she stood before him and he said to her he said to him say now to her see you have taken all this trouble for us What is to be done for you? Would you have a word spoken on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my own people. And he said, What then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, Well, she has no son, and her husband is old. He said, Call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway, and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, No, my Lord, O oh man of God, do not lie to your servant. But the woman conceived and bore a son about that time, the following spring, as Elisha has said to her. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for intervening in our lives, we thank you for the stories that you bring. Uh, Father, into our lives, the way you touch us and minister to us. And Father, there's probably many in this room who need a miracle today. Father, we pray you'd intervene in our lives. We know there are many in our city and our community that are desperately in need of a miracle today, your divine intervention. And we pray you'd let us be part of that story that you would intervene in their life and use us to bring your word and to see a life change in their lives. Father, help us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How do we get, how do people get miracles? Abraham got one by simply obeying. David was a part of a miracle when he stepped out in faith. Blind men in the Bible cried out to Jesus, And cried out to Jesus and cried out to Jesus until he came and healed them. Lepers came and fell at his feet. A woman just snuck through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment. A military man came to Jesus and said, just say the word. And a father came and pleaded with him to come to his home. Some just happened to be there when Jesus showed up. Being in the right place with the right heart seems to play a role in in miracles. I I find this woman's response to be unique. It is as if she had given up on the dream of having a son, just come to the conclusion that it wasn't going to happen. This conclusion, though, is interesting to note. This conclusion did not lead her to bitterness or to anger with God. She kept a heart, uh, kept a, a godly heart and moved forward faithfully. Then there comes this day when she's moving through her life, when she notices something. There's this man who keeps walking by, going from one community to another, seems to come that way from time to time, and she reaches out and says to him, would you like something to eat? No McDonald's to go to back in those days. And she begins to take care of him. She decides to not ignore the man, but to eat, but to meet his need. After a few visits, she makes a bigger move. She discerns that this is a man of God, and she tells her husband, now think about this, guys. She tells her husband, let's build an addition on the side of the house. Let's furnish it so that whenever this guy comes by, He'll have a place to stay and to pray and to study. This will be good. We'll just take care of it. And for whatever reason, the husband said, sounds like a plan. Let's do it. Time goes by, and, this, and Elisha is taking advantage of these places, and, and still we get no indication that she's mentioned any needers. She's not doing this making deals with God she hasn't said okay God I'm going to take care of this guy and then you take care of me that that doesn't seem to be the case at all she's not trying to earn anything she's just doing the right thing stop and think with me for a minute what if she had said I fed him a couple of times it's somebody else's turn around here to take care of this guy what, what if she would have said, listen, I, I feed this guy all the time, but it's, it's somebody else's responsibility to give him a place to stay. What if she had said, God, I, I see this guy coming by, and you know I could meet his need, but I'm not going to because you haven't met my need. She doesn't say anything like that. She had kept a servant's heart even when her need and what she wanted seemed to be lost to her, seemed to be forgotten. Then the day comes when God moves on Elisha's heart. She's been good to you. You ought to do something for her. And he begins to inquire, I, 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 I have some things. You know, he, he's saying, there was, he said, I've, I've got some things I can do, he thinks. Yeah, I, I, can, I can talk to the king for her. I can, I can help her if she has any, any kind of legal needs. Or if there's anybody messing with her, I can talk to the commander of the army. But she says, I, I don't need any of those things. I live among my own people. I, and again, she doesn't ask for anything. But it's burning in Elisha's heart to do something for her. So he asks his servant one more time, what does she need And the servant says, well, her husband's old. She doesn't have a son. This is beyond human ability now. And Elisha says, call her to me. And she comes in and he says, this time next spring, you're going to hold a son in your arms. And she's so dead to this thing. She says, don't lie to me. Don't get my hopes up. And he goes, no, no, no. No, you've met needs. And now God's going to do something for you. Many people miss their miracle. They don't cry out when they're supposed to cry out. They don't reach out when Jesus passes by. They don't come and fall at his feet in their moment of need. They didn't ask him. They don't ask him to come into their home. Many give up in bitterness because they didn't get what they want. They didn't keep serving. They got angry. Some just get lazy. God intends to meet them in their ministry, but they fade away in disappointment God intends to touch them as they serve others, but they wait to be served. God intends to bless them as they, are, as they are a blessing, but they don't take the time to bless anybody else. Many times, the answer to our need is found right in the middle of our faithfulness. But when we're unfaithful, we miss being in the place. Being in the right place with the right heart for the miracle of God to move in our life. I've been following the reading program. I hope you have been too. That's last week. If you haven't found the reading challenge, we read Psalm 37. Listen to what it says in verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. Listen again. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your injustice and your justice as the noonday. Over the years, I'll tell you there've been times when a minister's come into our church. Somebody's been here and they've had some dynamic word, and I found myself saying, "There, oh, I wish so. I hope so and so's here tonight. This is a word for them." And I looked around, and they weren't there. They they hadn't been faithful that night, and they missed the word that God had for them. Been in the middle of ministries at time and seen God moving in places, and I thought, "Oh, I wish so and so's here." And I look around; and they're not. They're not there. So I believe some will get to heaven and discover that God had so much more for them, but they missed it. They remained blind, they remained leprous, they remained lame, they remained barren because they didn't put themselves in the faithful place where the miracle of God would have met them. Don't miss it. Keep your heart right with God. Trust Him. Follow Him. Be faithful to Him. And when you are, friend, at the right moment, in God's hour, in God's time, maybe even when your need is forgotten, God's going to come and say, I'm going to act in your behalf right now. Amen? Lord, we thank you today. And I pray you'd help us to be a people who would be faithful. Let us us be faithful, Father, to reach out. As Quentin talked today of people reaching into his life, let us be those people. Be your hand extended. Father, as, as, you've, as you've heard these other testimonies today that would encourage us let, us, let us be those people, Father, who are used of you. For we believe that as we do your work, not only will you meet others' needs and intervene and miraculously touch them, but that you can touch our needs. So touch us this morning. Be with us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you want the ministries of Calvary Church to move forward in a powerful way? Here's one of the ways you can do it. Get involved in ministry. Get involved in touching people's lives Reach out to people around you, whether that happens organically just as you meet people or whether it happens very intentionally through ministries. But get involved someplace and begin to serve other people. Look for places to bless people. Open your home. Open your life. Take the risk and let God use you. Here's the other thing you can do. You can take of your lifeblood and you can invest it in others. By giving, by being faithful in your tithe, by being faithful in your offering. And you can do it today to help us for ministries we've talked about in our leadership meetings by making a pledge today to help us over this next year. As we go through with some, some expenses that we have as we've moved into the new building, we still haven't gotten the other piece of land sold yet that we need to get sold. We need your help today. And so what I'm asking you to do is, is, is as you prayed about this, to put your name on this. And, and to put your, put your information on. And then just on the other side, you can just kind of circle one of these things or write one in, whatever works good for you. But I, I want to challenge all of you our faithful attenders here today to do something. Wherever, wherever God would lead you to do, I want to ask you today, help our ministries move forward as we stand at this point in time in our history and stand with us and do something this year to make a difference I just want to challenge you do you have a need in your life if you have a need in your life we believe God can move and minister to that need ushers would you get ready to come and, and receive these pledge cards from us but while they're doing that I want the prayer, prayer teams to come down front and we're going to pray and we're going to receive these pledges and we're going to give a chance for people to come forward to prayer. prayer teams wherever you're at Move on out right now, please. Come on down to the front. Father, you know the financial needs that we have. We've talked about these in our information meetings. And uh, Father, I hope everybody's been to one of those. If somebody hasn't, just just speak to their heart today what you'd have them to do, even though they know all the information. Those of us who do know all the information, Father, lead us in what you'd have us to do to be faithful in giving uh, today. So Father, in these next couple of moments, as we do a couple of things at once, I just pray you'd speak to our hearts and meet our need in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And while you're standing, Dan's going to lead us in a song. The ushers are going to come and uh, they're going to pass the the buckets down the aisle. Please don't leave until they get to your aisle. And uh, you can drop one of these cards, your card in one of these buckets. But while they're doing that, if you have a need in your life... Especially if you're in a place where you don't know that you're right, your heart's right with God. You've heard people talk about their life getting right with God. as you can go right ahead and pass these down the aisles. If you need to step out and come, come on down. Whatever your need might be, and let somebody pray for you. Come right now in Jesus' name.